Welcome to Re-Review, where we watch movies from our past with a perspective from today. Your hosts are Matt, Bobby, and Austin, and we love the films from our youth, so we're taking a look back to see if they still hold up. It's the spookiest time of the year, so we're doing a special October movie month where each of us selects one Halloween-related film to re-review. Now, that accounts for three films, so a randomizer is going to pick our fourth movie, and the fifth and final film will be known closer to October 31st. First up is Bobby's selection. We are watching Casper. It was released in 1995, directed by Brad Silberling, starring Bill Pullman, Christina Ricci, and Kathy Moriarty. This movie shows us that even you can make friends with ghosts. Now, this is a fair warning. We're spoiling a 27-year-old movie, so if you haven't seen it, we will be revealing key plot points. I look back on this film, and I will tell you, as a kid, I wanted to watch this. Why? Because I was definitely intrigued by Casper. I was fairly confident. I remember watching the cartoon a lot, so I was into the idea of this, and I actually never saw this in my youth. So this was a first watching for me, and um, I think I had my expectations, and it hit some of those where this was a very like cartoony a campy feeling adventure, but with some really dark themes. Um, Bobby, what made you pick this film? Because I found it interesting. I picked this film because I am a total wimp. I am very afraid of scary movies. And so I thought maybe we should ease into this creepy month of Halloween and start out with something lighthearted before we jump into the more scary stuff i feel like lighthearted is a good way of calling it because i you know as we were watching it i think we mentioned some other films that we felt were kind of in the vein of beetlejuice or edward scissorhands this kind of it just had that same type of vibe i just didn't feel like feeling all scared and like crap for two hours tonight so <laughs> i definitely think it's it's funny because mentioning Beetlejuice and Edward Scissorhands, it definitely has that aesthetic in a lot of ways. Like I could very easily, you could tell me that the set designer that did those ones did this one too. It very much has that feeling to it. Yeah. This well, is very we... like decorated, you know, like there's right. It was, yeah. it was so artful and like the house was just like crazy. And maybe that's the part that we're keying in on is, you know, we we're introduced to the characters fairly early on. There's an idea. Dr. Harvey, Bill Pullman, is trying to reconnect with his dead wife. Already a very dark theme coming in here that I was surprised by going like, oh, wow, this is a bit heavy. But you're right. We get introduced to the house as a character because it's you know haunted by these ghosts that live there. And when they first walk in, you don't really see it early on. But the two kids you get at the intro who get scared out of the place. Um, but when, when Dr. Harvey and Kat, Christina Ricci's character walk into it, you see all the colors in the house. And I remember being shocked because, you know, you think haunted house, I expected grays or like dark greens mold, you know, get the scariness going on. And this is very much a fun adventure house. It, it definitely did have like the, it did have a haunted vibe to it. It it didn't skimp too far away from that i mean it had the cobwebs it had the you know the the feeling of haunted but it's not like it wasn't you know creaky floorboards and you know i couldn't imagine pennywise chilling in this place <laughs> no this, this no. wasn't a pennywise house for sure <laughs> those cobwebs look like stage cobwebs come on <laughs> come on <laughs> that whole entry was so grand with like the staircase and like the gargoyles at the end of the staircase and all the stained glass it was it was quite the house. It... But I guess this is the question. So we're opened up 
to the idea that you know this is supposed to be scary if you were watching this in your youth do you think you would have been scared at, at, at any point no i don't think i was i mean i watched this in theaters as a kid uh, this is what 95 so i yeah i was i was still like a kid at the time and you were a baby i was not a baby I, 95 so yeah i was like 10 at the time um i don't think i was ever scared by anything um i do think that the movie opens in that tone of trying to be kind of like a scary movie. Like I think the very first thing that really happens, cause you have like the, you know, the kind of uh, wind sounds and kind of like the kind of haunting sounds at the very beginning during the universal logo, then it morphs into a, f- a full moon and pan, you get the pan down. And then like, there's a sudden bike skid and you could tell like they're kind of going for a jump scare during mm-hmm. that scene mm-hmm. and just the overall vibe of it. But I think that the moment you see Casper, it kind of throws away the the scary vibe of it. And that's probably intentional. Um, I do think that strangely that this movie, like you said, was darker than I think was my expectation. It wasn't scary or anything like that, but I mean, there's a dude had his head flipped around in the yeah. opening sequence. So yeah, let's, let's, let's talk about that. Cause that could kind of lead us in with, with talking about Casper as well. Cause one of my notes that I wrote down was it reminded me of a haunted mansion, the ride. And we'll probably get to those points. And then also Luigi's Mansion, the video game, uh, thinking maybe there was some inspiration for the game for, from this movie. Um, thinking of Casper and thinking of some of the visual effects that we end up seeing, you know, we get this scene that's set up where Kerrigan is hiring people to exercise this house. And we have this priest come to who's dressed in his full exorcist gear with his cross and I think an orange and garlic for some reason um, to go in and exercise the demons as they say. And we get a very, very violent interaction. Whereas I think up until that point, it seemed like these ghosts intent was to just scare people. And this dude comes out with his head twisted completely backwards. But this is one of really, I feel like more prominent visual effects that we saw sex, you know, secondly uh, outside of the initial introduction to the ghosts. So between that and then really seeing Casper, how did you feel about those visual effects? Was Death Becomes Her before this? That totally felt like a nod to Death Becomes Her with the backwards head. Things I don't know the answer to. I feel like it's very similar to that. I'm scene. pretty sure that came out in '92. Uh, Death yeah, Becomes I, Her. So I, it had that vibe. I the first thing I thought of was, um beyond the actual quality of it i think i think the quality of the visual effects was kind of if yeah at first i think it was fine and then kind of got worse like where they're having trouble tracking it i guess but it very much had the vibe of uh the exorcist because she had like the green pea soup on him and like that flipped head so i very much was getting that like a nod to the exorcist and it was like a catholic priest and everything so and how did you feel about casper visually yeah (sighs) you know I think personally, I thought it was okay. I I actually went into this kind of wondering like how that how those visual effects were going to hold up, you know, twenty some odd years later. Um, I think that they went in a direction that kept him looking cartoony, mm-hmm. but it still had like a tinge of reality to it, like not real reality, but it it felt. There, there was more like depth and glow, yeah, and various things. Yeah, the glow is not the, like not two, not total two D animation. The glow was the thing that with all of them, especially like that was the three the three uncles or whatever. 
I felt like the glow around them was the thing that kind of like did it for me as far as the visual effects. Um, and it seemed like there was a bit of refraction, like almost yeah. like how when you like dip your hand in jello or water or something, like there was some kind of like blurring or distortion kind of behind them a little bit. I definitely think for a 95 watching this as a 10 year old, I would have been impressed by the visual effects. And I think for what it is, it held up like it, it didn't try to be, you know, industrial light and magic level T-Rexes running around type visual effects. I think for what it was, it was pretty solid. But it's, I think you're answering, you know, I was wondering if anyone would be uh, a little more against what they did, but I really enjoyed it. I think I was a bit, you know, everything you're describing. And even for me, it was, I was bought into it. I, I do question certain things. If someone could explain to me how ghosts work, do you know how ghosts work? Because um, there's like this thing where they could like not touch stuff, but clearly touch stuff all the time. What are the rules when it comes to ghost? Because I got very confused at parts with uh, when things were passed through versus not passed through. How do they make these decisions? No, it was it was definitely Toontown where a cartoon doesn't fall down until they noticed nothing's below them and they're about to fall, right? So it was basically like the physics and the reality of it kind of depended on the situation because there was, like you said, all sorts of different things. Like sometimes they could pass through stuff, sometimes they couldn't, like the magic vacuum, they got stuck but somehow got out of it and otherwise could pass through everything but couldn't do some stuff and could do some stuff like they can wear glasses you know like but and various other clothes and they can create clothes from nothing and they could pick up some stuff but pass through other stuff so it was it was the oj that got me where he catches the pulp in his hand (laughs) while passing the juice through and i'm going wait a second (laughs) oh the thing that got me the most was the the ability to form weapons out of their body and shoot bullets. Like I, I, I can kind of get being able to, uh, I, I don't know what the per, uh, person, uh, I don't know the word for it, but being able to like, uh, transfer through stuff. Um, but then like being able to form like the, these, these ghosts were literally like God mode. Like if they wanted to, they could have just taken over the world probably. Yeah. It was really odd that they could create those killing machine weapons. Yet they chose not to most of the time. It was, it was the mask. <laughs> they could just, do whatever they wanted whenever they wanted knowing that the stretch and fatso and stinky were fulfilling definitely a big comedy role how did you feel about them as a as a group i uh i don't know the sometimes it worked sometimes it didn't um some like it never got to a point where like i'm always afraid whenever it comes to comedies more so with adult humor than with something like this that's obviously meant more for families that the humor won't hold up, you know, to, to the passage of time, as far as, you know, things that we're looking back on with 2020 vision and saying like, Oh no, that's horrifically offensive or, or whatever to, to modern perspective. But it never got to that level with a couple little, you know, exceptions, but I'd say like the comedy of them was a little bit abrasive for most of it, um, mm-hmm. like, you know, meat bag and, you know, all the stuff they would throw around, but there was the occasional one that would kind of be there. Um, that almost when you think it probably wasn't in the script, but it was probably the voice actors throwing it in most likely. Mm-hmm. I was like, Oh, that was actually kind of good. It probably wasn't in the script at all. You know, 
So we have them as, as comedic relief, but there was something else the movie did that I think I was surprised by. So, Bobby, I'm going to challenge you here. Uh-oh. In order of appearance, name every cameo. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> but who, who surprised you the most in terms of the cameos? Because I felt like uh, as it started in, it, we were getting hit left and right with uh, very familiar faces. Yeah, they had the mirror scene, which seemed to only exist for cameo purposes because there was nothing else like it in the whole in the whole rest of the movie. Like. There was no other, like, any kind of morph transformation where they would show other faces in the other movie. It was only that one scene where it was, like, one cameo after the other. But I think my favorite was the Ghostbusters one. That was, like, kind of the most, like, out of left field kind of for me, but definitely, like, in that that same world. And then, of course, like, with the vacuum scene, it was a total nod to Ghostbusters, so it was a lot of fun, and if there was actually a Ghostbuster, why wouldn't you call them? I thought it was Which pretty she funny. she did. Yes. <laughs> Which she did, and Dan Aykroyd <laughs> said nope. <laughs> that was pretty That was pretty good. I like that. I mean, I like that they were able to pull that off, but it was very surprising, and, and you know, for what's something that's a kid's film, that's definitely for all the adults that must have been sitting through the theater being like, I know these people. It's almost kind of the humor that I expect from modern movies, and you know, to an extent, where you'd get a random cameo like that. But it's definitely the kind of thing that you, like, I remember when we watched it, I was like, you know, this had to have like a major director or producer behind it to get this, because I mean, we had what Dan Aykroyd, Ben Stein, um, Clint Eastwood, Rodney Dangerfield, Mel Gibson, and randomly the Crypt Keeper. Uh, right. Like, <laughs> someone was pulling some strings back there. Yeah. You say all these names, and it's like the kids these days don't even know who you just listed. It sounds like corporate Ooh, synergy to me. <laughs> yeah, it probably is corporate synergy. Crypt Keeper is full HBO, right? Wasn't that HBO? Back yeah, in the which day? is owned by Warner Brothers. Is this a Warner Brothers movie? That was Universal, right? That was a Universal? Okay, yeah. Well, maybe I'm wrong. Anyway, maybe someone got paid. So we'll pivot back to the story, and I kind of want to talk about the idea of Dr. Harvey his long desire to reconnect with his wife, but also the relationship with his daughter, Kat, and really this promise that he makes to her because he's dragging her around from country to country, country to country, state to state. Woo, I'm taking it very far. State to state, really uh, upending her life for the purpose of being a ghost therapist. And there was something you keyed in on, Matt, that seemed very, very poignant in terms of the validity of his... uh, ghost therapiness the fact that it didn't seem like he actually even believed in ghosts yep. and he, and he got he he was generally surprised to see one which i remember just thinking as that was happening like he seemed so surprised that i'm pretty sure he's probably been conning people up until now like it, mm-hmm. i mean i guess in a way i mean he didn't really say it in any of the stuff but he wasn't really giving therapy to the ghosts he's giving therapy to the loved ones who are probably left behind mm-hmm. um but yeah, for somebody who's like, oh, I'm a ghost therapist for the living impaired. Um, it's kind of strange that you react that way to a ghost. And like, he almost is patronizing his daughter for even saying that ghosts are real. I'm like, Yeah, because we do get that moment where he walks through the room very much in that like, oh, are you afraid of the monster? Let's see if we could find the monster in the room. Yeah, it, 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 was, a, it was a bit painful for that. But as it kind of goes through the, uh, you know, she's trying to find her place in the world. She goes to a school where uh, the entire class is a group of assholes who just want to make fun of her for every single, you know, her existence. 
Um, and the teacher letting with, it happen. Oh, the teacher started it. <clears throat> Let's not forget the teacher started it for being such a, I think a, a challenged character in, in a world where her dad is quote unquote off the reservation and she's being treated the way she was. Uh, she came across as very, you know, likable in terms of she's going to be cool with hanging out with the ghosts. And I think there was an element of a question of was she supposed to be goth or something in this film, even though she wasn't? I, they could have very easily gone that route, I feel, especially casting Christina Ricci. I mean, this is post her, you know, and, you know, Adam's family and stuff like that. So you could have very easily had gone that direction. But strangely, she was a lot more grounded than I thought she was going to be. Um, and considering they they almost had a perfect setup for it and didn't go for it. So either mm-hmm. they intentionally did that to go against type, which might probably be the more likely scenario, mm-hmm. um, or maybe like they were going to go that route and maybe, I don't know, even Christina Ritchie or maybe her, her agent might have been like, we really don't want her typecast as the goth girl and everything. Please don't do mm-hmm. this. Right. I feel like... I assigned in my head some of like the Adams family to this movie because of her. That's like, they did a good job of trying to avoid it then. <laughs> Cause it is hard to, to let go of the Adams family. Um, I do want to talk about our central character, even though not the central character, but enough Casper. Um, we have a character who is, we learned all these ghosts are basically in a form of purgatory because they're hanging around, they have unfinished business that they need to attend to. And um, did we ever really learn what Casper's unfinished business was? I guess the assumption was just the, I don't know what, the love of his dad or something like that. Or it could have been the sled ride because he had, that's basically why he died. So yeah, I don't know. Maybe maybe it was getting a girlfriend from the way the rest of the movie went. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, let's. Uh, Casper had a very, very strong desire to uh, to meet a human woman. Yeah, I did say. not remember that at all. That was a, sh- a bit shocking. Well, I mean, he converted himself into data and like transmitted through a phone line or cable line and was able to, uh, you know, basically kick off the entire movie. Right, like he's basically the driving force, the the inciting incident, really, to to get everything going. Though I do question now that I'm thinking about it, how did they have cable in that house? <laughs> I, I just thought of the idea of if they, you know, he he gets into the phone line and he starts making modem sounds as himself, just so he could transfer himself <laughs> as a data. I, I don't know how they had cable in the house. The whole house was a wreck, right? So what was happening there? His dad invented cable. Was that it? <laughs> cable TV. I, you know, it's funny because like, um, being a movie called Casper, you know, this is, this is kind of the thing that you see a lot of, a lot in more modern movies where you have CG characters or uh, even, even like, you know, something like a movie like Godzilla, where you have these extraordinary things that are kind of the titular characters, but for whatever reason, you know, well, in Godzilla's case, he can't talk, but, you know, you focus on the human characters more in a way. So like, I feel like this movie was much more about in a way, Christina Ricci and her dad, Bill Pullman, yeah. than it mm-hmm. was about Casper. Like I could honestly have forgotten most of what Casper's, you know, character arc. Maybe that's just why we did forget about his, his, you know, ghost crush or whatever. 
that was kind of driving everything is he wasn't particularly memorable in a lot of this. Um, in hindsight, watching it, I'm like, yeah, I'd probably remember it more now because I see Casper from a different perspective now, but, mm-hmm. um, yeah, he's, he, he's not as strong of a character as you would think, considering he's the titular one. He wants a girlfriend. And then this is a little bit, all dogs go to heaven. He makes a sacrifice <laughs> so he can be Cinderella. Yeah. It was a bit odd. I was kind of expecting it to be due to his sacrifice, he gets to move on. And I was like, well, then they couldn't make a part two. So what are they actually going to do? So when it became the Cinderella moment, I was like, how terribly sad is this? Yeah, that was that was kind of a weird like sequence of events that led to it as, you know, we had, you know, this, uh, I don't know if you would even call it a MacGuffin, but it's definitely a driving device of the resurrection machine. What is the Lazarus machine? So it was called Yep, Lazarus that just kind of, it, it was just there. And as a result of it being there, you know, to be honest, when I was watching this, I kind of thought it was going to be more about the treasure was going to be kind of like the thing that was kind of the, and it kind of was, but it was much more about the Lazarus machine. Um, and we got this weird sequence of events where, you know, they're like, Oh, you know, uh, uh, Kerrigan and dibs. We're like, okay, well, we need to save. Well, the logical conclusion is to one of us die, sneak in, I guess, open it from the inside, hoping that there was some way to open it from the inside, and then take the treasure out, and then use the Lazarus machine to, you know, come back as a human. And so, so logical. It, it just got this weird sequence of events where, like, somebody would be about to pull the lever, and then something else would happen, and then something else would happen to prevent it from happening. It was like this constant just interference in trying to make Casper into a human. Um, yeah, it was, it was kind of a weird, a weird direction for it to go in a way. It was almost like a ticking time bomb kind of yeah. mechanism mm-hmm. a little, a little bit, a little bit. Mm-hmm. I mean, by the time you're introduced to the room where this thing exists, they go through what, like a Rube Goldberg machine basically, or some insane contraption that reminded me of haunted mansion um, <laughs> where they cycle through what uh, shaving haircut, basically a death trap teeth brushing machine <laughs> just to get downstairs into this room where the uh, fabled machine lives that, Casper had to be reminded of because you forget things when you're dead, apparently. Um, you know, looking at what Kerrigan character and how obsessed she was with the idea of the treasure, we still don't even understand how that character got their money. But maybe we're reading too much into the kids' film. You know, sometimes you just need an evil character that needs to steal the treasure, right? That's true. It's kind of, it's kind of Goonies in a way like that, right? Yeah. They didn't really explain like a whole lot of what happened there. Minus her dying. <laughs> and coming back with her makeup intact and him or apparently even, killing her yeah and then uh even with dr harvey we have the ghosts ready to commit murder with their weapons <laughs> and then he just dies and he get he gets to be the uh the resurrected human being and uh, as you said that he comes back fully clothed with glasses again the ghost logic in this movie right I mean, no one wants to see him come out naked, so. (laughs) But I mean, maybe we do. (laughs) There, there was stuff in this movie for adults. So, you know, gotta, gotta, gotta bring in that extra money at the box office. Okay. So is there a ramped up version of this movie? Is there a, what what if we make Casper scarier? Like the character or the movie as a whole? 
a little bit of both. I, you know, I was thinking this while we were watching it, and I think that it was meant to be the the central theme of it, but I think that the cartoonishness of it kind of got in the way at times, mm-hmm. which is the idea of coping with loss. Mm-hmm. Um, like everyone in this movie, to some extent, was supposed to be coping with loss. I mean, obviously, with um, uh, Doctor Harvey and Cat, you know, with the the loss of you know the mom and the wife, and then um, even Casper you know, with just, you know, his own loss and very much remembering his dad and like what his dad went through after his death. I mean, that in and of itself was very tragic, you know, ending up declared insane and basically dying on it, you know, by himself in a... So sad. Yeah. God. And like, there, there's just this element of it to it that I feel like if you wanted to go in a less cartoonish route, you could focus more on that aspect. Um, I don't know about the scary side of it as much. I mean, I could definitely see you could take the core elements of this, which is... Boy dies, haunts house with three other evil ghosts. Family moves in, you know, death, death surrounds everyone in this situation or whatever. Like you could very easily take those elements and put it inside of a much darker movie. In fact, there probably is. I'm sure there's probably a house on Hunting Hill sequel with that same premise. Um, so I think you could, I don't, I don't know if it's Casper, but it's weird because this whole thing's based off of Casper cartoons. I remember there being pretty creepy as a kid mm-hmm. growing up. So I you I think you could, but I don't know if you'd get the same dollars with all the kids showing up that you probably would have if you would have done it that way. Just say it's not for you. This is Casper for adults. Bobby, you want to remake this one? Make it a little scarier? <laughs> That's certainly an option. The scary TV show. The like the Halloween special, um, the CW version. Yeah, <laughs> now you're talking about language. Just a really cheesy TV show, as always. Just give me a TV show, make it last like 24 episodes. <laughs> Maybe scare me sometimes, only a little bit, but not really. They could have the the new ghost of the week every week. Somebody dies. Some like special like celebrity cameo. Well, we've watched it. We know this is a a film that's geared towards kids with definitely some references there for the adults. You know, Bobby, you telling telling families to sit sit by the television, crank out the popcorn and watch this one? Well, the funny thing is is that I feel like there's a very small window of where your kids this is going to work for them because too young and I feel like these jokes and various other things are just a little over the top. Like my seven-year-old daughter would want nothing to do with this movie, but if she gets too old, it might not be her thing either. So it's gotta be the sweet spot. So you got to find that sweet spot and enjoy it as a family. What about for you, Matt? I think I agree. I think that if you, if you have the right family dynamic, I don't know, maybe in like the 10 to 12 range, maybe I think this, this, this this would be a good movie to maybe sit down and watch. I, I have fond memories of having this on VHS and popping it in and watching it with my family. So I, I think that if you can get that sweet spot, I think it's worth it. Otherwise, yeah, I I don't know if the fraternity guys are going to be enjoying this. This is a (laughs) fan. This is a family movie through and through, I think. You know, uh, that's the part that gets me in, in back to those original references to the idea of Beetlejuice or maybe Edward Scissorhands or something about it that does feel wholesome. But I feel you. Those are some dark themes. So maybe kick it with your your younger teenager 
uh, yeah, your 22 year old is going to ask what's wrong with you, dad. <laughs> Why are we watching this movie? So uh, it's, I think it's still worth watching. Put it on in that sweet window that, that we're looking for. So as always, thank you for listening. Remember you can call them ghosts if you want, but we call them the living impaired. <laughs>